Mighty God and Everlasting Father, we come before you this morning desiring that in this new year which we have begun, we ask for your blessing and your aid. We ask that as we look at these texts, that they would press us, O Lord, to desire to follow you with a whole heart, that you would sanctify us, that you would give us more of your Spirit. We ask, O God, that you would aid us this morning as we study your Word. Give us more of your Spirit that we might understand and be illuminated to what the text teaches us. And we so ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at two specific texts briefly, John chapter 2, 13 to 17, and also 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Let's look at first John chapter 2, 13 to 17. Now, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. We are entering into a brand new year. And whenever we go into a new year, oftentimes we move to resolve certain things that we don't want to do in this new year as opposed to what we've done the year before. But instead of simply resolving to do something that we think we want to accomplish in this new year that might be like everything else that we've resolved to do the year before, might we think about moving towards reformation or moving to cleanse out that which is unacceptable before God, which is the will of God concerning the saint's sanctification which is exemplified in Christ's holy actions. And consequently, all true saints are to have a holy zeal like this and towards this end. The context of what we've just read was the Passover. And in the course of the ministry of Christ, we find four Passovers, and we find twice that he cleanses the temple. Twice that he does this. He doesn't do this one time. The one in John, in comparison to the one in Luke, are at two different specific times in the ministry of Christ, and two different things are going on at that time. Well, what, what does this passage talk about? Well, he found that there were people in the temple, he, through examination, through scrutiny, through observation. And here, the temple consisted of the whole sacred enclosure, embracing everything. They were in the courts. They were there selling things. And so, as he saw these people in God's temple doing something that they ought not to do, he went in to cast out or drive out or send out, and it's done with a notion of violence. It had a zeal about it. An excitement of mind is what zeal means. An ardor, a fervor of spirit. A jealousy, actually. 
quoting Psalm 69.9, they rejected the servant, they rejected the faithful servant, and instead did what they wanted to do in the temple to gain for profit. Psalm 69.9 says, because zeal for your house has eaten me up. Jesus was zealous for God's house. Christ's love of the Father could not bear the wickedness of prostituting the temple this way. So he cleansed the whole temple of them. He used discretion, though, as you see with the doves. He never used force to drive any into the temple, but just out of the temple. Jesus didn't also make a booth to set up to spend time with those in the temple to get to know them or to become buddies with them. Instead, he drove out that which was evil and cleansed completely the temple from defilement. Christ's godly passion and holy anger was resolved to completely vindicate what was troubling in God's presence. The text says, as the disciples so viewed, that zeal had so eaten them up, he couldn't withhold doing those things before the face of God. God's temple was being destroyed, so to speak, by the actions and motives of the wicked heart. And so he was zealous. And he was resolved to go in and do what he thought was right before the Father. And he was. He cleansed the temple and he rid the temple of that which was defiling it. Now, in that particular manner, I would rather have us think about how we have holy zeal, how we are resolved to do certain things before God, especially in this new year where people often will make resolutions about things or resolve about certain things. What does it mean to resolve something? To resolve is to rid oneself of possibly one or two worldly problems. That's what New Year's resolutions are regularly about. Just uh, getting rid of one or two things. But in the way that Jesus works with the temple here, he was not interested in getting rid of one or two of the people in the temple. Rather, he wanted to move the entire temple to be reformed to reformation. Reformation takes care of the whole thing, not just one or two problems. Remember our previous sermons on true biblical reformation, that it's according to the word, that it involves the entirety of the will, and that it's based on covenanting and resolving to be obedient to God's revealed will in the scriptures. That's seen in the act itself of temple cleansing. Christ is the cleanser. Not the disciples. The disciples watched. And he does not do all three things in this way. He doesn't cleanse one or two things. Rather, he does all of it. He cleanses everything. If a child's room is a mess and the child picks up one or two pieces out of the hundred that's making the room messy, is it clean? Mom doesn't think that it's clean at that point. He does not walk by into the inner court. He cleanses the whole temple. Christians often try to disregard sin by walking by it. 
Remember and take careful note, he does not set up a booth of his own to win them over. What would the 21st century church do entering the temple? What would they do? Would they enter with a fiery indignation and holy violence? The idea of this kind of zeal that Jesus has. Or would they have come with a committee to build their own booth next to the others? I think they would have done the latter. Maybe to try to win them over, be some kind of evangel to them. Jesus went in and he didn't set up a booth. He destroyed their booths and drove them out of the temple. It must be in the same way that the body and the soul of the Christian is cleansed. Some sins are driven out quickly when others are reformed over a period of time. Some are oxen. Some are doves. Jesus, as you can take note, doesn't condemn their livelihood. He doesn't say that selling doves or selling oxen is a bad thing. It's where they did it and what they were doing with it. Sometimes Christ will come with a whip and cord, and other times he'll come with just a rebuke. Here, he just rebukes them. The next time he cleanses it, he will create a whip, and he will use it to drive them out. Sanctification in that way, or maybe paralleled, could be a bit different in the Christian. The Christian is a temple. The Christian is a holy temple indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And sanctification of a Christian's temple is ordained by God. And it isn't the end of resolving one or two things to do. I want to rid myself of one or two things. They're not just improving something. The whole temple must be cleansed. The whole temple has to be cleaned. Christ commands Christians to take those doves away, to remove them in that analogy. He is in the believer. He is in the temple. He still commands it of us today. Christians, though, are to have a holy zeal towards reformation of their character. They are to have an excitement of mind, an ardor, a fervor of the spirit. They're to make a whip. They're to stand. They're to beckon Christ to come with the whip and the rebuke. The problem is that oftentimes Christians want to do things very slowly. They want slow conformity in the temple over a period of time. They want to take their time. Well, let's just get the guys with the oxen out of the temple right now. We'll worry about the people with the doves in a different manner later. But that's not the way that Christ cleanses the temple. He wants everything out of the temple all at once. He doesn't want a slow reformation of things. A slow reformation of things is deplorable to him. Judgment first comes to the house of God. Imagine the Israelites doing this in the tabernacle in the wilderness. Moses would have never let anything like that have happened. That would have been unthinkable. But you do see them doing it in the temple after 2,000 years. Over a slow period of time, the sin creeps in. But the one who is set on reforming himself, or the one who is set like Christ who wants the temple of God to be cleansed and clean, Reformation is always on the lookout and always desires it to be a complete and instantaneous Reformation. There's always the problem of choosing a particular sin and going after it. 
there are whole groups that are dedicated just to run after one particular sin in the world and make a display of that one particular sin. But that is not what God does, ever. What God does is he desires the entire reformation of the person, of the heart itself. Do not choose one resolve and think that for the whole year that is the one to concentrate on. The devil's ploy to motion you to good works at the expense of God's command to whole sanctification is his deception. Well, we just need to study and learn this one thing this whole year and nothing else. Or we need to resolve to pray more this year and that's what we're going to concentrate on. Or we're going to concentrate on reading the scriptures for the whole year and that's what we're going to focus on. God never says that there's one particular piece of the puzzle that we should focus on. Rather, he wants the sanctification of the whole man. Sin often peers around the corners of the temple to spy out if Christ is still there and waits for the signal. And very much in the same manner where the priests that go back into the temple, it's like, what will we do with it? We must have great discretion about governing and following a holy zeal that we do nothing unbecoming of Christ and that we would have prudence and discretion as primary motives behind our holy zeal so that we would sanctify the whole man, not just a little corner of the temple. In Pilgrim's Progress, when Christian met with his early friends on the road of salvation, he met with charity, piety, prudence, and discretion and had a long conversation with them. It's very wise indeed. These things, love, godliness, prudence, and discretion, this is what he met with, that's what we are to have. Love to Christ, godliness and piety in all that we do, and prudence and discretion always to keep a keen eye on making sure that we govern our zeal correctly. The way we handle removing our own sin may not be the way to encourage others. The Lord may bring you through a great cleansing of your temple, and he may only use a whipping cord, but in Christian wisdom, your encouragement to others who are dealing with the same problems may simply be to say, take these doves away. You want to be prudent in the way that you not only help yourself, but others. The way husbands help wives and wives help husbands. It is not true godly zeal if we wound others in the process of trying to be sanctified. We are not simply materialistically moving people out of a materialistic place. Jesus removed people out of the temple. We're also dealing specifically with sanctification. But we have to be thinking what we can do to keep the temple clean. Well, obviously, only a saved person can keep the temple clean. But what then? Christ gives the temple back to the priest to see what they'll do with it now. He doesn't stay in the temple there and say, okay, I'm going to stay here and stand and guard and keep watch. After he cleanses that which is wrong in the temple out, the temple is given back over to the priests to see what they do. Unfortunately, Christ came back with wrath against them a second time in Luke 19, 45 and 46 and cast them both out, both buyers and sellers, and called it a den of thieves because they didn't repent. 
how will we keep the temple clean? The new year began. And no doubt you were probably thinking about certain things that you were going to do, that you were going to resolve to do for the new year. And so you're a week into now this new year. Millions of people have made New Year's resolutions. Some of the top resolutions I found for the upcoming year, and you probably already know some of them, to lose weight, to stop smoking, to stop spending money frivolously, not to be so late for things, to treat people better to do many of the things which were neglected in the last two months. Those were the top six. But now, just to give you an example of a New Year's resolution versus holy resolve or real holy zeal that the Christian should have, let's look at what Jonathan Edwards used as resolutions. Jonathan Edwards wrote down a list of resolutions which he made. There were 70 of them in order that he may tried to his utmost to live a certain way each day. Not only for the last year, rather he read these resolutions every week, once a week, to remind him of those things that are required of him by God. The resolutions are made because he wants to please the Father. The resolutions that I just read by these worldly people are all self-centered and pride-centered resolutions, things that they wanted to do for themselves. They are not focused necessarily upon God, and they are all there to make you feel better. But listen to Edward's resolutions. He begins this way, quote, being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help. I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions. So he asked God right off the bat that he would be filled with the Spirit, motioned by God, because he knows that he cannot do anything without God's help. And so here are some of his resolutions. Resolved, that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to the glory of God in my own good profit, and pleasure in the whole of my duration. So everything he does is for God and his glory. Here's another. To be continually endeavoring to find some new uh, contrivance and invention to promote the aforementioned things. In other words, I will do everything in my power to do spiritual things, even if I have to invent new ways of doing them. Here's another. To strive every week to be brought higher in religion and higher in exercise of grace than I was the week before. In other words, that he is to do everything in his power to strive to know God more and in a greater way. And another, that no other end but religion shall have any influence at all on any of my actions, and that no action shall be in the least circumstance any otherwise than religion may have it. In other words, that everything I do, I do for God, and there is nothing that I shall do which shall not be for God. Now, do you see the difference between saying, I'm going to stop smoking, and I'm going to strive to know God more? There's a great difference in the manner in which God desires us to be resolved with a holy violence to take spiritual things seriously. And Jesus did. He took spiritual things seriously. 
He is the God who says in Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people, who are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's Second Chronicles 7.14. Now Solomon prayed for Israel at dedicating the temple and that God came to him at night and said this. Gave him this verse. If they do. The condition upon whether or not the blessing of the verse will actually happen or not. If my people who are called by my name. If I go to the store, I'll buy some bread. If I do not go, I will not be able to buy bread. It's very simple but very important. If my people do this. These people are people which have some unity in common, some relationship in common. These are the covenanted people of God. It's the same group in which Jesus cleansed the temple, where God's name was on them. They're called by his name. His name is the distinguishing mark. If these people are God's people, there is a mark on them which shows they belong to him. And it's his name. That is their mark. What are they supposed to do? What should have these priests been doing in the temple? They should have been humbled. They should have been brought low. They should humble themselves. Second Chronicles tells us. Being humbled or brought low is bringing proud people into subjection. Ridding themselves of the pride they have. And they'll pray so that they will literally break oneself. And seek, seek the kingdom of heaven. God wants them to earnestly desire him. What shall they seek? Well, the verse says, my face. The face of God is an analogy for that which is the attitude or mark of the person. A hard face shows defiance and ruthlessness. A shamed face shows forth defeat. A shining face shows forth joy. A sweet face shows that one seeks the favor of God. God is saying that they are not looking at his face. Like those in the temple that Jesus cleansed, they weren't looking at the face of God. They were looking for the face that was on the coin. For those in the temple... He had to turn them back from their evil ways. But in this particular verse, God here tells us to turn back. He says that they must turn back from their evil ways, turn back from backsliding. Jeremiah 4.4 states the same thing. Wash your heart from wickedness. He wants us to humble ourselves before him, not setting ourselves up in booths that make our own prideful profits, about religion. As you can see, the people in the temple, they weren't praying. They weren't hearing the word. They weren't listening to the priests. They were selling things to people coming in. Distracting people from doing those things. Well, if we humble ourselves, and if we're brought low, and if we seek God's face, what does God say he will do? He says, then I will hear from heaven. God is not giving attention to those who act like those who set up booths in the temple. 
The words imply that God is not being attentive to them. Hearing from heaven is the effective listening, which will happen if God's will is done and these people do what God requires. It is not just that he'll hear, but that the text says that he'll also forgive their sin and heal their land. Forgiving their sin applies to the people themselves. It's personal, individual forgiveness. All of the sin which each individual had stored up shall be forgiven. And it also says that it'll heal their land. This applies to the church now. Not America, not our land of our forefathers, not that idea. The land, the place where God dwelt, where he brought the people to worship, was particularly and specifically the church. He will heal the land. He will heal their church. It means to make healthy, as if the church is diseased. If they humble themselves, if they pray, if they seek his face, if they do everything that Jesus did, and none of which those who are in the booths did, he will do this. So there's a, a great difference between how we humble ourselves and seek his face, and seek the kingdom of heaven, just like we read in our morning reading in Luke, where Jesus says that we're to seek first the kingdom of heaven, and all the other things that these guys were after in the temple, set with the dollar, set with money, set with materialism, those things, we do away with those, in terms of them being our first priority, and instead make our first priority seeking after the kingdom of heaven, seeking to have the temple cleansed, seeking to have the temple sanctified, that's the priority, then at that point, God will then, as he promises, heal us. He'll heal his church. He'll make his church healthy. So, if you really want to deal with real New Year's resolutions, you're dealing with things that you resolve to do with the holy violence like Jesus did on a daily basis. Let me give you some New Year's resolutions. Resolve to glorify God more than I did this last year. Resolve to pray and read the scriptures every day. Resolve to come to every service so that I can know God more than I do. Resolve to do everything by the power of the Spirit of God to motivate myself and motivate others to glorify God. Resolve to love God more than worldly things, which I do love so much and should not, which does include husbands and wives and children and jobs and things. Resolve to love those around me always. Resolve to examine myself every day to see whether or not I am in the faith as I should be. See, it's, it's not simply that when we enter into a new year and we think about the things that we failed at last year, that we make just certain resolutions. Rather, we have a real Christian resolve, a holy zeal. See, that's what Jesus had all of the time. That is what God desired those in Second Chronicles 7.14 under the guidance of Solomon and the dedication of the temple to have. The place where God's name is, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of God. We are not just to have resolutions about individual, worldly, materialistic things. Rather, we are to have Christian resolve 
that revolves around a holy zeal. That doesn't mean that it's a bad thing to want to stop smoking or a bad thing to want to lose weight or a bad thing to be on time. But all of those things should be set inside the realm of the Christian's holy zeal. They should be set in the realm of resolving as a Christian to glorify God every day in everything that we do, including losing weight and being on time and all of those other things. Because it's not just that we're looking to sanctify ourselves in one particular area or with one particular sin. Rather, we want the whole man mortified. We want the old man who is dead to stay dead. We want our sins to be mortified and we want to walk in the Spirit. We don't want to walk in one resolution. That's not what the Bible teaches us. That's not what Jesus teaches us, just in his actions with the temple. Rather, he wants us to cleanse the whole temple. And Paul asks us, examine yourselves. Not just once, not just a piece, not just one sin. Examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. That's the entirety of the Christian life. Examine yourselves. It's another way of just saying, Christians, you have to have a holy zeal. You have to have a Christian resolve about these things. Resolved to be sanctified holy. Resolved to glorify God in everything that you do. Resolved not only to have one New Year's resolution that you have, that you want to accomplish, but that your entire life is resolved to be sanctified before God. It's not enough. God will not see it as enough to try to be resolved in one particular area. God never says, just take care of that one sin. He tells us that he who is born of God does not sin in 1 John. He tells us that the habitual nature of sin in general is not part of a Christian's life. Instead, they have a holy resolve, a holy zeal, like Christ, in which the psalm should apply to us as well. Psalm 69, 9. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. That should be said of every one of us. Christ's love for the Father cannot bear the wickedness of prostituting the temple with just the sins that he saw physically there in the court when they were selling things to those who were coming in to do prayer and to seek God's face. Thus, in the same way, we should not be able to bear the wickedness of prostituting the temple that is us in which the Father and the Son and the Spirit make their dwelling and dwell among us. We want to oftentimes set up a booth and take our time and spend time with those sins to get to know them in a way that we can best deal with one or two of them. Jesus wants us to cleanse the entire temple. We need to have ardor in embracing or pursuing or fierceness of indignation or envious 
in contentious rivalry and jealousy. That is what the word zeal means. We have to have all of that about being sanctified and resolving before God, not simply to have some New Year's resolutions that we're going to effectuate for this upcoming year in 2007. Rather, we want to resolve with a holy violence before God a sanctification of the whole man. That in every area in which we fail, in every area in which we sin, in every area in which we displease God, we want to correct. We want to cleanse. We want to drive out, send out, with the notion of violence, those things. Otherwise, we're much like the world. The world made resolutions for the new year. The Christian has to be bigger than that. He has to be better than making a few selfish resolutions. He has to resolve in every way to please the Father and the Son and the Spirit in everything. That instead of just losing some weight or quitting smoking or being on time, that he moves to take care of the whole man. Not one or two problems. The entirety of the will is set according to God's word. And there is a covenanted and resolved obedience to God's will in the scriptures. That is the act of cleansing that Christ desires. That is what he wants us to accomplish. And he wants us to have the same kind of zeal that he has, knowing full well that we are being conformed into his image. So whatever your resolutions are, take them and make them subservient to having a holy resolve, to being sanctified before God in every area. People will often object, oh, but we can't be sanctified instantaneously. We can't be sanctified all at once with everything. Well, that's just sin making an excuse. Because what does God require of your life? God requires that you not sin. God requires that you be fully sanctified. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from fleshly lusts of all kinds, Thessalonians tells us. That's God's will. He doesn't pat it. He doesn't clip it just so that we have just a little bit to deal with. Rather, we are to be thinking about having a resolve that is set with a holy zeal before God and that we would not have the problem of some slow conformity over a period of time, but that we would strive now to be sanctified with holy zeal. Let's pray. Mighty Lord, we thank you for the picture of Christ cleansing the temple and having a holy zeal for his Father's house. We thank you for the dedication of the temple and the words that you gave to Solomon. That in coupling these two ideas in John and in Second Chronicles, that we would put them together and think about, Lord, that which we will accomplish in this new year, done with a holy violence, with a holy zeal. 
we have digressed from our readings and study in Genesis. But as we begin this year, Lord, we must be reminded, as you have so reminded us in these passages, of making sure that we have a right focus. Our focus to glorify you, resolved to have a holy violence over the entirety of our sanctification and not simply to deal with one or two things we think needs correcting for our betterment. We ask, Lord, that our, our desire would be first and foremost to please you in everything that we do. We ask, O oh Lord, for your help and your aid in these things. And we ask for your grace and more of the Holy Spirit to accomplish them. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.